With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Got a good show for you this week. 12-year NBA vet, four-time All-Star, and the cleanest trash talker you're ever going to meet, Mark Price, joins the show. He's also the head coach over at UNC Charlotte. I asked Mark about his relationship with Craig Elo, the aftermath of the loss of the Bulls in the 89 playoffs, and the art behind reconstructing a player's jump shot. All right, let's go. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, Chris Mannix. My guest this week is a 12-year NBA veteran, a four-time All-Star. He's got a gold medal from the 1994 World Championships. And he is one of the best free-throw shooters in NBA history is Mark Price, who is now coaching at UNC Charlotte, the head coach of the 49ers. But Mark, is great free throw shooter the first line on your basketball playing epitaph? <laughs> uh, well, I don't, I don't know, but it's one that people uh, put up there pretty high, I guess. When you were playing, how many teammates during seasons or before seasons or after or in the off season would come up to you and say, you got to help me with my free throw shooting? Uh, I had a, had quite a few teammates uh, ask me for some tips along the way and ask for my opinion on on ways that they might could get better and you know a lot of times you know when you finish practice you coach sends you the goals usually a couple guys at a basket to shoot free throws and a lot of times guys would fight to come shoot with me maybe they might they might pick up something <laughs> who who did you help though like was there one of your teammates where you look back and say man I I might have been able to make a bit of an impact there. Yeah, actually, a guy I played with quite a bit, uh, Brad Doherty, who was, uh, you know, he's a great player and, you know, was always looking to get better. And Brad would always pick my brain and uh, try to help him. And I, I adjusted a couple little things with his free throw and he uh, seemed to seemed to like the improvements. So uh, he was one guy, uh, obviously, that I played with for a long time that uh, that I was able to, to help a little bit. Yeah, you and Brad were the, the same draft, right? 
We were. We were. We uh, we got to play together for uh, seven years in Cleveland. You were. Uh, he was the first overall pick that year. You were 25th, right? The first pick in the second round. That's right. That's right. Imagine 25 in, in a draft now. That would you'd be first round money in today's drafts market. <laughs> yeah, about the, yeah. It's a lot more money too, by the way. <laughs> you, you you got tagged with with the white guy criticism coming out of college, didn't you? Like you know, you just ah, oh, how does this guy? How is he ever going to be able to compete with these athletes in the NBA? Well, you know the the small, slow white guy uh, syndrome. I kind of got lumped in. The problem was anybody that ever played against me knew that I wasn't slow. <laughs> so uh, you know, I just uh, you know kind of had to overcome that most of my career. You know, even going into college, uh, you know, I I wasn't going to be a big time college player because I was too small and didn't look the part. You know, but uh, I was able to overcome that and have a good career. You know, at Georgia Tech and in the ACC and. And take that on to the NBA where everybody, a lot of people had doubts. I, uh, I really felt like I should have been a first round pick that year, but you know, once again, I think, uh, there were some, some people worried I wouldn't be able to make that transition to the NBA level. What were your draft workouts like? Well, it's funny because, you know, back when I came out, you didn't really, really have those kind of workouts, you know, much. Uh, at least I didn't. Uh, most of the guys, used to go to Hawaii the top seniors every year would would go to Hawaii and play and and I wasn't even able to go to that because I was like a quarter from graduating at Georgia Tech and so I wanted to stay and get my degree before I left and so you know I never really had any workouts uh, you know I felt that you know I'd played in the best basketball conference in the country in the ACC for years uh, just about every point guard I played against in college went on to play in the in the league and so I felt like I had a, a pretty good body of work for them to see me and see what I was able to do. When you look at the first 24 teams that, that drafted, that, that passed on you the first time around, was there a team that, that passed on you that, that most disappointed you, that you were like, I would have been a great fit there, I, I thought they were going to take me? Well, yeah, and it was, to me, in my mind, it was a no-brainer because obviously being at Georgia Tech, the, the Atlanta Hawks had the 20th pick that year, and they had – a team of fantastic athletes with guys like Dominic Wilkins and, and Cliff Levingston and Antoine Carr and, and all those guys. And, you know, really that, that knockdown shooter was something that they really needed uh, to add to their team. But for some reason they ended up drafting, I think his name was Ken Barlow, who never even put on a Hawks uniform, I don't think. <laughs> so, you know, I was a little disappointed because that would have been fantastic, obviously, playing my college career in Atlanta. I was familiar with the Hawks and felt like I would have been a perfect fit there. But for some reason, they uh, they passed on me. See, that's a whiff. That's a big-time whiff if if you're the pro team and this guy's playing in your backyard. Like, you got to be able to see you and see you play and realize that you could play at that level. <laughs> well, you'd think so. <laughs> You think so, but yeah. As far as I'm concerned, it was a big whiff. Also, when you got to the NBA, I mean, was it was it fast? You know, for you when you first got to the league, and if it was, I mean, how did you you compensate as as a college player going pro? Well, I think the thing that that helped me obviously was my ability to shoot the ball and to shoot the ball with range. Um, you know, with the three point line. See, most people don't realize that I didn't even have a three point line in college. I actually got put in full time. We the, the ACC was the first uh, conference to, uh, you know, try the three-point shot out when I was a freshman, and I led the league in scoring as a freshman because of it. Uh, they took it out, and then the NCAA put it in the year after I left. 
so I never played with the three point line really at the college level and and so uh you know that was a real advantage for me going into the n b a level and going in at a time in the in the n b a where you know point guard position wasn't really a scoring position at that time. You only had a couple guys like Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas that were really scorers from the point guard position so you know, I think particularly with Lenny Wilkins being the coach and being a great point guard, he saw the advantage of having somebody that could shoot the ball like I could and uh, as an advantage playing the point guard position. When there is no three-point line for you at college, I mean, how do you prepare yourself for, for the NBA? Do you just spend as much time as possible between the draft and the end of your season just jacking up threes from the NBA line? You know, I you, you, you practice and spend time doing it, but, you know, I, sh- I was – shooting from three-point range, even in college, even though it, there wasn't a line out there on the floor <laughs> because of because of my ability to shoot defenses. You know, I had to kind of extend my range to be able to, to get shots off at times. So, you know, it just it, it wasn't that much of a stretch getting used to it. Uh, obviously, I spent a lot more time once I, you know, got with Cleveland that first year. I I was actually a backup to John Bagley, and, and so, uh, you know, just – spend a lot of time in practice after practice, whatever practice, you know, hoisting up threes and getting comfortable with the distance. You were actually part of what would may be one of the greatest second round draft classes ever. You remember the guys that were in your draft class in the second round? I do. Uh, some of them, uh, you know, I know, uh, you know, we had, uh, Johnny Newman was in that class. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Dennis Rodman, uh, was in that class. Uh, yeah, you no, got I, you got Nate McMillan was there as well. Jeff Hornacek, yep. Kevin Duckworth, and Larry Kristowiak. That that's a pretty good team in that second round. <laughs> yeah, we all did all right. <laughs> <laughs> when the Cavaliers selected you, you know, it, it turned into a a stable situation with you there, Brad Lenny as the coach. But at that time, I mean, they were kind of a mess coming into that. I think they had been to one playoff appearance in the last six years. Had a whole bunch of coaches between eighty and eighty six. I mean, it was. The whole Ted Stepien thing had gone on uh, prior to that. I mean, what did you you think about going to Cleveland? Well, I think, uh, you know, their nickname was kind of the Cadavers at the time, I think. A lot of people called them that. And and I didn't know a whole lot about Cleveland, to be honest, uh, at the time. But we had an unbelievable draft group. Not only Brad at one, but Ron Harper was drafted at number seven. I was picked up at 25. We got Johnny Newman as well later in the in the second round but then hot rod williams was sitting there as well who didn't get to play the year before because of some uh things the nba was looking in with him and so you know that's a that's a pretty darn good draft class coming in as as rookies that first year and and uh we just we missed the playoffs my first year there uh but after that we never missed them again and so uh it was it was quite a quick turnaround and you know a lot of talent came in with that one draft yeah, that was it turned into a really good young team from the start and you guys really did develop uh from there. You you mentioned playing for for Lenny Wilkins, one of the all-time great coaches, an all-time uh, you know, good very good player back in his day at at your position as well. How much if at all did did having him there and and him being familiar with your position, how much did that help you early on? Well, it helped me a lot because you know, when I was at Georgia Tech, even though I was, you know, the point guard, I I had to score a lot you know, at the college level for us to be successful. So, you know, a lot of people might have said I was I was almost more of a two guard and a point guard body and and so Lenny took that, that ability that I had to shoot the basketball and score the ball 
and uh, began to teach me the nuances of the point guard position, which, uh, you know, he knew he could, that I could develop and learn those. Uh, the way I shot the ball, it's hard to develop and learn how to do that very quickly. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, it was great that I got to go in as a young player and learn from, uh, you know, a Hall of Fame player. Yeah, I, I didn't get the chance to cover Lenny until the very end of his coaching career, largely uh, in New York. But he didn't strike me as a, a much of a screamer. He seems more soft-spoken. What was he? What was he, was he a screamer? Did he get on guys? I mean, what was his personality? Now Lenny was great. He, you know, he wasn't a screamer, uh, but he was, you know, very competitive person. Uh, you know, our personalities are really similar in a lot of ways, and I think that's probably why we you know, got along so well and, and worked so well together. But, uh, you know, Lenny just was a big believer in treating guys like professionals. And, you know, if there was something he needed to talk to you about, he'd, he'd call you into his office or pull you pull you aside and just have a man-to-man, one-on-one conversation with you. It was never, you know, he, he would never try to embarrass a guy in front of his teammates. Uh, you know, and I think that's, uh, you know, why guys – Love playing for him and respected him so much. Yeah, you both do seem to have kind of that that similar even keeled type of personality. I was reading something about what Jordan once said uh, about you, um, specifically when it comes to when you get fired up on the court. You're you're not a cursor. That's kind of what what you were right. in, in your careers. Did Jordan said something along the lines of, uh, you know, I don't know, how, I don't know why. Is when you got thrown out of one of your games? I think you were thrown out twice in your playing career. Jordan <laughs> Jordan said something like, Yeah, I don't know how we got thrown out. You know, Mark doesn't curse. Uh, two two questions on that. Number one, do you remember the two ejections that you had, and 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 what were they for? Yeah, I do remember them clearly because obviously there was only two. <laughs> but uh, I remember getting, you know, getting a technical for something that was some weird kind of situation. It was it it was something I didn't deserve a technical for, and that upset me so bad that I basically just went over to the ref and said, well. You know, if you're going to give me a technical, at least give me one that I deserve. And so he gave me the second one and threw me out <laughs> pretty much. And uh, the second one was I just got frustrated in the game. A guy had set an illegal pick, and I basically just grabbed him by the jersey and <laughs> threw him down on the floor and kind of got ejected for that. But, you know, that was that was pretty much the extent of my uh, getting kicked out of games. What was I'm trying to imagine a, a Mark Price trash talk. There's a lot of trash talk goes on in the NBA. What does a Mark Price trash talk sound like? <laughs> well, you got to be creative, I guess. <laughs> You're not going to cuss at somebody, but uh, you know, I've I've talked a little more trash than people probably realize, and uh, you know, whether it be you know telling a guy or talking to a coach, or you know, I didn't usually get into the trash talking much until somebody started doing it to me, and then you know, I hit a couple shots on them and ask them how they liked it or something like that or you know who knows it was it was usually in fun and in jest when I started doing it who was the guy the opponent that that went at you with the talk the most uh you know it's funny because I guess it's because I didn't really you know instigate trash talking that you know guys didn't really do it that much to me you know I don't know if it's the respect or you know, I think I had a little bit of reputation and guys start talking trash. That kind of got me fired up and I played better. So maybe it was more of like a, let's let a, you know, you know, leave a sleeping giant alone, you know, uh, because I remember in college all the time, uh, you know, guys would start trash talking and John Sally, who was my teammate at Georgia Tech would say, well, you're going to regret saying that. And then, you know, it, it would tick me off and I'd, uh, you know, go at them even harder. So, uh, 
you know, I didn't get a lot, but, you know, a guy, one of the trash talkers that came into the league at a young age, Gary Payton, he liked to talk a lot. <laughs> of course, Reggie, Reggie Miller was in the league, and he, he liked to talk. And, uh, you know, although we didn't, you know, do a lot of trash talking back and forth, you know, a big rivalry was, you know, Detroit and Isaiah Thomas. And so we always had some epic battles going back and forth at each other, even though it wasn't a lot of trash talk. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a pretty intense rivalry. I'm trying to imagine what the, the Mark Price-Gary Payton matchup looks like, just verbally, not, not basketball-wise. Verbally, what does it look like? <laughs> Well, you know, Gary just, you know, he likes to talk and, and everything. I, I Most most of the time, I probably, you know, I usually diffused it because I just kind of ignored him, you know, for the most part and just played my game. That was more of my style. So, uh, you know, but most of the time, if I'd hit a shot on him, I'd probably give some of it back to him or, or whatever. But uh, he probably did a lot more of the talking than I did. Well, Gary was – there was nobody Gary wouldn't talk trash to. I mean, Gary talked to – you know, when, he was, when George Carl was coaching him – he was yelling at Carl on the sideline for for half the game. I mean, it wasn't just opponents he was yelling at. Yeah, Gary, uh, he liked to hear the sound of his voice. <laughs> so uh, he he was always saying something to somebody. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Peter King here, reminding you to subscribe and listen to all new and archived episodes of the MMQB Podcast with Peter King as well as the MMQB podcast with Albert Breer and the 10 Things MMQB podcast. And now a word from Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts out of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. You mentioned those those Cavaliers teams, a lot of success, um, but best known for those matchups and that one match in particular uh, with Chicago. I'm curious, the last time that you talked to Craig Elo was when? After Kyrie Irving hit the shot for Cleveland to win it this year, I called him and I said, we got a new shot in town. Maybe they'll forget about yours. <laughs> he, he seems to have, have really rolled with the – we had him on, uh, on on my radio show a little while back, and he just seems to be – he rolls with it. Like, he's, 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 there's, there's nothing that, that sticks with him when it comes to that shot. He's very much over it and you know, kind of has some fun with it. Well, that's, that's just Craig, and, and that's how he played as a player too. You know, he was a defender, and to be a quote-unquote good defender in the NBA means – guys score a lot of points on you even though if you're a good defender because guys are so good so you know you just have to learn to kind of roll with it and and uh yeah I used to be with him and people would ask him that question you know what was it like and Craig was just like shoot that shot made me famous <laughs> you what? know so uh that was just always his kind of uh approach to it and and uh and so but yeah I definitely gave him a call after the Cavs won it this this year and, and told him hey man the heat's off Kyrie just made, just made a great shot, change it in Cleveland history. Well, what people forget about that play 
against the Bulls was that I if, correct me if I'm wrong, but Craig scored the basket right before that. So he was a hero for about a minute and a half. And then the final three seconds happened and all of a sudden it changes history. No question. It was and that people people do not realize unless they, they actually see that game on a replay that we were actually down by one with six seconds to go. And uh, you know, he throws it into Larry Nance, dives straight to the basket for a layup. Jordan turned his head and and, and Craig laid it in. So, you know, if Michael doesn't hit the shot, he's probably the goat instead of the, the hero. And so it's amazing the twists and turns of, of all what happened within a six-second <laughs> six uh, period. What do you remember uh, about that play in particular? I mean, what, when, when you see it on TV and, and you watch it, the, the, the clips come out, I mean, what, what goes through your mind? Well, I just, you know, I thought it was just a, a great player hitting an unbelievable shot. You know, it, what you couldn't have defended it much better. I mean, Michael jumps up to shoot, and he actually has to hold, you know, hang in the air and wait for, for Craig to go by him uh, until he releases the shot. So it was just uh, just an unbelievable, unbelievable play by a great player. And, you know, we tried to double-team him. Larry Nance tried to help and not let him catch it, but he still somehow was able to come out and get the ball and, and make the shot. Yeah, people look at at the athletes in today's game, and there are great athletes in the NBA today. But you're right about that that shot. I mean, it wasn't just a contested shot; it was you know hanging in the air for three, four seconds. You know, fading a little bit to the I believe the left in that one. I mean, it was that was as tough a shot as you could possibly make in that moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it really was. Like I said, you know, Craig got back in the play, and you know, if Michael shoots it normally, probably Craig probably blocks it. You know, but he hangs on to it, lets Craig go by, and then releases it on the way down. So it was, uh, the degree of difficulty on that shot was <laughs> was really high. What do you remember about the locker room after that game? I mean, obviously there's there's incredible disappointment, but was it different to, than other losing locker rooms that you've been in in the past? Oh yeah, that one by far was uh, was the most devastating feeling, just because one we what other people don't. The other side note that people don't realize was we beat we beat Chicago six times that That's right. regular season. We were, you know, we were a better team than they were. You know, we really were. And uh, and yet on that one day, uh, you know, Michael was the best player in, in the world and and made an unbelievable shot. But uh, you know, so it was it definitely when you know or or believe that you have the better team and then you lose in that sort of fashion. It was obviously. Uh, extremely uh disappointing for all of us was there their fallout from that i mean did 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 the hangover from that loss affect you guys uh moving forward well the fallout was you know cleveland after that you know made the decision to trade ron harper yeah and uh you know bring danny ferry in and so there was definitely a fallout obviously if we win that game then you know there's probably a good chance that that trade never happens and and uh you know we keep that team intact so there was definitely you know that was the biggest probably fallout from from it, from it. But is there going to be like a, a a Bill Buckner in Boston kind of moment in Cleveland this year? Remember when the Red Sox broke the curse of uh, of, of their World Series stretch? They brought Buckner back in. Are they going to bring like Elo back and and have a ceremony next year in Cleveland for him? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that, but. Uh... <laughs> You know, they should, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> bring it back and get rid of the crowd. Well, it's it changes the narrative, right? You know, Cleveland is now, they won a championship, all is forgotten, forgiven, everything's now just part of the, the journey, right? It's all uh, it's all just, just part of yeah. the process. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, you had to go through, uh, you know, parts B and C to get to Z. So, you know, that was part of the process. Do your kids at, at, at UNC Charlotte, do they ask about that moment? Are they even aware of it given their age? You know, they're aware of it just because, you know, they're all into basketball and NBA TV. It seems like at least once a year they put that game on, <laughs> you know, the shot. And, and so, you know, I get texts all the time from guys or guys that I've coached on every level. Coach, coach, I'm watching you, uh, watching you play on TV. And, <laughs> you know, I keep saying, well, did we win this time? <laughs> did did your uh, kids think they could take you? Like they see you out on the floor, you know, six one, six two, whatever it is, you know, the the white guy stuff. Do they do they think they could have taken you? Well, I doubt that they think they could have taken me back in the day when I, <laughs> when I was when I was their age. But they 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 certainly look at me now and think they can take me. <laughs> you know, I'm uh, 53 years old. They they certainly could probably take me right now. You've uh you've you've branched out into coaching. You know, first as a shooting coach, then you know, NBA assistant, and now obviously with your your college job. I'm curious as a coach, what do you think is teachable in young players, and and what's not teachable? Well, I think. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a lot that's teachable. I think, uh, you know, I think there's certain guys that come along that have certain, you know, natural skill set that they have or a term I like to use all the time, a feel for the game, maybe that's that's not quite teachable. I think different parts of the game, different skills you can teach. You can help a guy learn to shoot a little bit better. Uh, You can help them improve their free throw shooting. You can help them improve their defense. But can you make a guy – a world-class shooter, I don't know that you can just make anybody that. Uh, You know, like I said, certain guys, you just put a ball in their hands and they seem to just make the right plays. They have a feel for the game. Uh, You know, can you necessarily teach that? You can show guys things and help them to get better, but there's certain guys that, you know, if you know what I'm talking about, just kind of, they just kind of make the game seems to be a little bit easier for them uh, than others. I feel like it's a, when it comes to shooting in particular, it's a blend. It's what a coach or a, 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 a shooting coach or whatever can show you to do and a player's commitment to do it. I look at Kawhi Leonard and what he's done in San Antonio. I mean, Chip England out there changed his shot when he came out of San Diego State. Kawhi bought into it. Now he's, you know, I think elite is the right word, a perimeter shooter. Uh, I mean, is that is that a fair assessment that that if you have a guy that is completely committed to doing this, that they can, you know, completely alter the way they play? Well, no, no question about it. Particularly when you're talking about the elite kind of athletes that that you're dealing with at the NBA level. Um, you know, they're obviously extremely talented and gifted, and uh, if they really buy into change, and I think that's always the challenge. You know, when I worked with Michael Kidd Gilchrist you know, a couple of years ago with, with the Hornets, you know, it was going to be a major overhaul to try to change, change his shot. And, you know, my first question to him when we started together was basically, you need to let me know when you want to get this thing fixed because of the commitment that it's going to take to do it. And, uh, you know, when he came and said, I'm ready, I want to get this thing done. And, you know, he put the time and the effort and, and listened and bought in and, you know, guys that, that are that gifted athletically are able to do those kinds of things. It might be a little bit tougher than just the average average guy trying to do it. How big a challenge was Kid Gilchrist? Because we knew what he was coming out of Kentucky. There was a, a, a major hitch uh, in that shot. But when you, you know, sort of really started to dissect him, was it as big a challenge as it looked like from the outside? Yeah, it, it, it was a challenge. It was probably 
you know, from a shooting coach perspective, it was one of the biggest challenges that, that I'd ever, I'd ever looked at. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, he, he was unbelievable. He's got a great attitude. He's a great person. Uh, like I said, he listened to me. I basically said, you can only listen to one guy. That's going to be me. We're going to get this thing right. But, you know, it's, it's going to be some difficult days. And anytime you're totally reconstructing a shop, there's going to be days where, you know, you got good days, you got bad days, and then you're going to reach that point where it's like, okay, you can go either way. Are we going to get over this hump? Or are you going to kind of just succumb to, uh, I'm more comfortable doing it, doing it my way. So we met and dealt with all those situations. And, you know, to, to Mike's credit, he just, he was so determined to, to get it, get it better that, you know, he was able to get over that hump and, and, and it really paid off for him. Yeah. Chip England, uh, said something to me that he's that, that I, I remember now was that he said a shot is really personal for a guy and, and getting him to change it is difficult. Has, was that, is that been your experience that, you know, guys are, especially when they come into the NBA are kind of wed to their jump shot and it is difficult to get them to make sweeping changes to it. Yeah, it's a, it's a comfort level. And, you know, particularly when you're talking about a guy that's made it to the NBA, you know, you're always dealing with the, you know, the, uh, the pride factor of, Hey, I'm, I'm already pretty, pretty darn good player. or I wouldn't be in the NBA, <laughs> you know? So, you know, it really comes down to that personal, you know, challenge of, Hey, I want to grow. I want to, I want to reach my full potential. I'm willing to, to take on the tough task to get myself to another level. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, it is, it is a personal thing. And a lot of guys want to do it for different reasons. And so, you know, uh, dealing with that part of it is always a challenge as well. We haven't seen, uh, a full season from, from Mike in, in a couple of years now because of the injuries, but from, from what you've seen and, and the work he's done and, and the work you guys had done together, do, do you see him becoming a, a three-point shooter? I mean, do you think see that being a part of his, his repertoire at some point? Yeah, I think if he keeps progressing, I know early on last year he had taken more threes than he ever had in his life, uh, you know, just a little time that he had, he had played last season. And so, you know, it's definitely that's the next step for him to increase his range and, you know, continue to work on that. I don't know, you know, we'll see if he's ever to the point where you consider him, you know, a legitimate three-point threat night in, night out. But, you know, but if he continues to work on it, he could definitely add that, that, you know, next step to his game. How much did you work with Rajon Rondo? Uh, actually, it wasn't a real long period of time. He, I was actually at the time, uh, you know, I put together a shooting lab in, in Atlanta and a lot of the pro teams were sending me guys and, and Rajon came in one summer. So I basically just worked with him over, over a summer. And, uh, you know, we actually got a lot accomplished and, you know, with him when he came in. So, you know, uh, but I only worked with him for one summer. Have you watched him subsequent? Because there were a couple of years, and I'm not sure when you, you work with him, but he was in the mid-60s with his free throw shooting for a couple of years. Right. And, yeah, and, and and then he sort of fell off a cliff, and he's been down in that right. you know 30% range, 58 last year in Sacramento. I don't know how much you've seen of him and how he's shooting free throws, but I mean, how would you, you assess what he's been doing? Yeah. You know, to be honest lately, uh, you know, obviously being at the college level and, and everything, I haven't paid as much attention to the NBA as I normally would. And with Raj, I'm kind of moving out to the, to the West coast. I haven't seen a lot of their games, but, uh, yeah, when I was working with him, we had gotten him up and he had improved, uh, showed quite a bit of improvement. So I don't know if he's 
kind of slip back to old habits or 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 what uh, what's going on with him. But you know, I, I haven't really watched him enough to be able to to give a you know really an assessment of it. Well, how big a change did you try to make with his shot, say compared to what you did with uh, Kid Gilchrist? Well, it wasn't obviously it wasn't quite as uh, major of a overhaul as as MKG. There were just certain things, and you know, when you're only with a guy for you know short periods of time, you always try to find a couple couple things that 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 you know you can try to help him with that'll that'll help improve and I thought we did that with with some of his footwork and just his his uh, release point and things like that on his shot uh but you know if we'd have been able to spend more time you know I might have been able to pick up on on a few other things as well god he would be so good if he were a you know 38% consistent three point shooter and a 75 80% free throw shooter the guys he'd be like a 20 and 12 guy out there <laughs> yeah yeah, he's really talented, and uh, you know, just just from that standpoint, I'm working with him, you know, it's hard to sometimes, you know, you you feel for a guy, you know, because he he is so talented that things become, you know, it gets to a point where it becomes really mental, you know, when when you talk about shooting in those situations. So you were on the 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 kind of NBA track for a while. You're doing some assistant work. You work with Stan Van Gundy. You work with uh, Steve Clifford uh, down in Charlotte. What what made you want to do the college thing to be a college coach? Well, I don't know that it was that I necessarily just wanted to do the college thing. I, I I really believed I was ready to to be a head coach, and you know whatever form or fashion that that presented itself, that that I felt like was a good fit for me, and and just so happened that this opportunity at Charlotte uh, popped up kind of out of the blue while I was working with the Hornets, and so you know not only did it provide me an opportunity to to be a head coach at you know division you know, division one level in college, but, but, you know, it was right here in Charlotte in my backyard. And so it was a good, good situation for my family, not having to uproot and move. And, and so it was kind of the best of both worlds in that opportunity. So, you know, I took it and, uh, you know, it's, I've really enjoyed it. You know, I was ready to try to, to run my own program and, and do those kinds of things. And, and it's been a lot of fun and a lot of work, but, but I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, you, you clearly enjoy the the teaching part of the game. Did, did was it an adjustment? All the other stuff that came into the college experience, most notably, you know, recruiting, which is such a huge part of, of being a college coach. Yeah, no question. Uh, the college game is, you know, there's a lot more irons in the fire, so to speak. You know, when you're a coach at, at the college level, just you mentioned the recruiting part. You know, you have to go out, travel. You have to talk guys into coming, playing for you, and trying to build your program that way, but you also have the academic side of things. Uh, And you're probably more personally responsible for your players. Uh, You know, at the pro level, it's a job and guys kind of have their own people around them and they do their, do their work and and go home. But, you know, at the college level, it's, it's kind of like you're responsible for these young men. Their parents are giving them to you to to not only, you know, help them with their basketball, but, but, uh, you know, academically, making sure that you help prepare them for life and, and success after basketball. So, you know, it's 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 a big responsibility, but it's something that I really, really am enjoying right now. Getting a chance to have a a real positive impact on on these young men that that come and play for me. Now, do you enjoy all all that you just talked about the entire college experience more than just say the professional experience where it is simply twenty four seven kind of coaching? Well. I don't know that I enjoy it more. It's just different. It's a different, you know, it's a different animal, you know, and I love getting out on the floor every day and spending, you know, three, four hours a day really teaching, teaching the guys at the pro level and trying to help them improve and get better and, 
and coaching and learning, learning, uh, you know, the ropes as a, as an NBA coach, but, but getting a chance to, to deal with guys at the college levels is a challenge and fun. It's just, uh, it's just different. But I, I love both of them. What do you remember about your uh, one of if, or your first recruiting trip? <laughs> well, I remember it clearly because uh, one of the guys that I hired to be my top guy. He'd been, in, you know, he's been a longtime college guy and been in the business for about 28 years. And he he kind of took me around and showed me the ropes. And I remember going to one of these big, huge AAU tournaments, and there's about 500 teams playing and. And I didn't know which kid was who. You know, I hadn't been following the college game that closely, and in particular high school for sure. You know, so I'm going out, and you know, I was he was saying which guys do you like? He they kind of had some players, and I would start picking guys out, and he would say, "Well, we can't get him because he's you know one of the top ten players in the country." And I said, "Well, at least <laughs> I know what talent looks like." <laughs> So, uh, You're looking at the Kentucky guys, the guys Calipari's looking yeah, at. Like, yeah, I'll yeah, take him. Hey, he can know, play for me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> don't go to Kentucky. They got a bunch of guys. Come play at Charlotte. You know, <laughs> we'll have a good time. <laughs> How far does the the Mark Price name go in in living rooms when you're recruiting these kids? Well, I feel like it's uh you know it's a real advantage, and you know I'll be honest, a lot of these kids they don't know, really know who I am. Uh, reference point of it, other than most of them say, yeah, I've played you on on 2k before <laughs> so i i'm more known as a guy on a video game right now with these with these kids you but. make every shot three every three-point shot <laughs> yeah that's what i hear i'm pretty good on 2k i guess but uh but you know their parents all know who i am and so they they kind of fill the kids in and and give them my background of course you can you know pull up youtube and see me playing playing a little bit there so it gives them a little bit of a reference point but uh it's been a real asset for me i haven't had any trouble getting in front of front of kids and their parents and and when i'm coming to talk to them about charlotte so five years from now what do you think you're doing you know that's uh that's for the good lord to, to know you know i'm i'm kind of a guy that just takes it day by day i don't you know i i'm loving coaching uh you know, what opportunities down the road. I'm really happy here at Charlotte. I want to build something really special here. And, and it's, uh, you know, I'm not a guy that looks out too far down the road, to be honest with you. I know that, uh, you know, if I'm doing the right things and I'm working hard and I'm doing a good job, then, then there's always going to be opportunities uh, out there. But, you know, I'm really happy here in Charlotte. It's a great city. I love the school. And it's uh you know, I'm I'm really enjoying it right now. Do you have a no cursing rule for your uh, your kids on the floor? <laughs> uh, you know, I, they don't hear it from me, uh, but you know, it's going to slip from time to time. I'm not too hard on them, uh, <laughs> you know. But uh, but we definitely have a way we like to do things, a program, and uh, you know, I want that to reflect who I am and the way I want things done. But uh, but I guarantee you one thing: we're going we play hard. Uh, you know, they follow that example for sure. We get after people and, and we grow and, and we get better. And we're trying to teach these young men how to play the game and, and how to be responsible in the classroom and, and, uh, try to be successful in life. And that's, uh, that's, what's exciting about this job. You got to give me your, the best clean Mark Price trash talk, because I'm just sort of kicking around ideas of what it could be in my head. Like the, the, the cleanest Mark Price trash talk during his playing days. <laughs> Uh, uh, is there like a, oh, know, you stink, man. man? Like you're you you're terrible. Or, 
I'm better than you. I made that shot. Like I'm, I'm. What do you got for me, Mark? Well, I can tell you this, uh, and I'll let you in. This is an inside, inside the halftime talk last year. Okay, all right. And this will give you a little bit of feel. We're we play a horrible. We're playing. Uh, I think it was we were playing Rice at home, and it was a point in our year we were kind of turning our season around, and and I was wasn't happy with our guys, and I didn't know what to say to them coming in. I was really upset, and I'm I'm in there, and I say, you know what, guys. You guys are just a bunch of cream puffs, okay? <laughs> so I, I throw out the term cream puffs. Of course, I look, and my assistants are tr- doing all they can not to start laughing, you know. And I think the players the players were too, but it offended them so much. They were like, Coach, I would have rather had you cuss at me than call me a cream puff. And so we go out, and we score 66 points in the next half and win the game. So, you know, for what it's worth, cream puffs works in a pep talk. So there you go. <laughs> well, Mark, I, I appreciate you taking some time to uh, to talk to me here. Uh, best of luck this season and, and with all your success and, and everything moving forward. Well, I appreciate it, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity. That's it. My thanks to Mark Price for joining the show. As always, you can download this podcast and other archive podcasts on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, check out the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Redick and the Vertical Podcast with Woj. Don't forget, if you like this episode, and if you like this podcast in general, feel free to give us a rating, leave a comment. You know I appreciate it. See you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.